Blog Talk Radio. You are now listening to CLNS Radio, your source for all things basketball. You cannot stop this guy. This guy is unbelievable right now, and with the way he's playing, he's played an outstanding brand of basketball. You're trying to tell me he's not the next best thing? What are you hearing? Man, all I know is this guy can fall, and if you can come out and play with him, you can play with anybody in the league. I want your opinion. Call into the show. Why don't you drive the rack? Seriously, why don't people drive the rack more often? Fed up with this cookie-cutter brand of basketball, not go out and hand check. What are you comparing? The guy's got grit. The guy's got moxie, and the guy's got heart. What more do you want? Broadcast through Blog Talk Radio and CLNS Radio. They gonna love me for my ambition. Welcome to the Hooper's Log. Here's your host, Simo Buck. They gonna love me for my ambition. Welcome on into episode 111 here on a uh, Monday night, Tuesday morning, whatever you want to call it. It was the one of the greatest, if not the greatest, national championship game in the history of national championship games as Villanova gets it done over UNC 77 to 74. Uh, you talk about a game that has a lot of just I mean, you talk about one of the greatest games we've ever seen, period, in sports. This was just – this just flat out turned into one of the greatest games we've ever seen when it came to the way of basketball. I don't even mean like just, you know, just because of the fact that it was North Carolina, just because of the fact that it was Villanova, just because of the year that we had in college basketball. But this game by itself was absolutely insane. And, and I mean from the standpoint of from tip to the very end, it was close all the way, through and through. There's no other way to describe it. This was one of the best national championship games I've seen from a quality perspective and also from the perspective that you saw, you just saw some of the most spectacular you'll ever see in the name of college basketball. And not just college basketball, but in basketball, period. This was a game to remember, and it will be a game to remember for the ages, as I don't know any other way to explain it. But we have Jonathan... Wagner on the line. Jonathan, what was your take from this national championship game tonight between Villanova and UNC? Really, words can't describe what we saw tonight. Yeah, I mean, you said it. I mean, it's just unbelievable stuff. To me, um, there's been certainly greater upsets. You know, you talk about Villanova themselves with the upset over Georgetown the last time they won the title. Uh, And you talk about North Carolina State. Uh, upsetting Fi Slamma Jam in Houston and in with with Jim Valvano and uh you know some of those notable games even Duke you know coming back uh uh from the from the from the route against uh, UNLV uh you know and upsetting uh and winning the championship you know in, in an upset um you know but there's been some great moments over the years the Syracuse Indiana game comes to mind Keith Smart shot 1987 down in New Orleans, and, and they win that game 74-73. I think that, that might have been before tonight probably the, the maybe the best played championship game that I can remember. But to me, to me, this is the best championship game ever. So certainly, you know, the NC State game, the Villanova game I mentioned, bigger upsets in the past. But to me, just in terms of how well played this game was, and even, even some surprises too, because you expected North Carolina to dominate in the paint. 
Villanova controlled that tonight, which was a surprise. You expected North yeah. Carolina not not to shoot so well from three, and they did shoot some shoot well from three. So you got kind of surprises, you know, from each team that you didn't expect to get, and then just of course the finish. I mean. And just all those circumstances that went into it. With the, like you said, the year we had in college basketball was tremendous this year, and to cap it off this way, and to have Roly Massimino you know, leaving his alling wife to come here just for this game at the last minute, just to be there for this uh, before he goes and returns home, just to be able to see this in person and, and celebrate with his Villanova family and, and see this and have Michael Jordan in the house uh, being interviewed by Craig Sager with all that he's going through and, and him making the comment that, you know, reflecting on the, and the shot that he made in 82 to, to, to Craig Sager saying how, uh, you know, that, that, that was the birth of Michael Jordan when he took that shot. You know, he was just Mike Jordan before that. And, and to see him in the house and witnessing this from the other end. Uh, and then the double clutch three that was just ridiculous by Page to tie the game. Yeah. I don't know how that shot Jordan went in, has- you know. Jordan Evans, so, like when the uh, like the Bulls against the Cavs. I was thinking, oh my unbelievable. God, in the crowd. This looks just like the game between him and the Cavs back in '89, if I'm not mistaken. Unbelievable. Incredible. I mean, for him to tie the game on that shot, and then, and, and then just the way it ended, a guy like Archie Diakno, who's just you know done it on. Uh, he's got skill, obviously, but a lot of what he does is just pure heart, and and a lot of what this Villanova team did was just pure heart at both ends of the floor, especially defensively when everyone thought their their strength was was mainly offensively, and they just played such great defense throughout this tournament. And and for Archie Diakono to 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 bring the ball up and to find Jenkins for the game-winning assist, and then Jenkins, the guy who was taught to shoot by his mother, uh, who drains yeah. it at the buzzer. Raises both hands in the air, and, and as as the, as the ball goes after the ball goes through the net, and the streamers are coming down instantly after that. I mean, if you had written that up and sent it to Hollywood, they would have said, "Now this is a little too much. It's not believable," you know. So right. the only thing that that might have beaten it is if in in 2010 had had uh, Butler actually got that shot from Gordon Haywood to fall oh, oh, yeah. uh, in, oh. in Indianapolis from half court. If that, if that shot, which was inches away from, from going in, if that had gone in, it would have beaten tonight. But since it didn't, I think to me this is the best finish and probably the best championship game we've ever seen. Oh, and I agree. I mean, if Gordon Hayward's shot would have gone down in 2010 against Duke, you, I, we, were, we would have already seen a movie. Gordon Hayward would have been starred in the movie. It would have been that's what yeah. would have happened if that would have happened, uh, but it didn't go down. Obviously that was still one of the greatest runs we've seen. Obviously those back-to-back years by Butler getting to the national championship back-to-back years, unbelievable stuff, obviously uh, with the guy like uh, uh, the, the coach for the, uh, the, the Celtics right now. I can't think of his name, uh, Brad Stevens. They get that team back-to-back years, still unbelievable. But for this to happen the way it did and, and like, and from the standpoint of upsets, from the standpoint of Cinderella, this wasn't necessarily overall Cinderella, but Villanova, obviously, with the history they've had of winning titles, they've only won two now, but this being their second one, the first one that they won, they were definitely a Cinderella, um, but this one was more of, look, and, and what, looking at the, the pace of this game, this was, and, and this is why I say this is one of the best games to watch. I mean, it's funny, because at work, people, you know, the shift I work, I just got off work about five, ten minutes ago, and the shift that I work, people are, like, usually taping games, especially national championships, and they're asking me, because I'm the big goof, I'm the big basketball goob at, at work, and they're asking me, how'd the game go? How'd the game go? And I'm like, I'm like, you really want to know? You really want to know? Like, normally I just tell them because it's a bad game or it's a this game or that. I'm like, do you really want to know? Because this was an unbelievable game. And this was one of those games where 
when people are asking me, like, how did it go? How, what was your take? What was it? I'm sitting there, and I'm like, uh, do you really want to know the outcome of this game? Because this was unbelievable. If you already want to know, you still need to watch it. I don't care. Re- re-record it. This is one of those games where it's like, if you're watching a movie, I, when, I th- when people talk about recording games, I think of it like a movie. Like, if you record a game, I usually watch it like a movie. I skip through the, I skip through the previews. I skip through all the, you know, all the stuff. Well, I don't know if I skip through the previews. But I skip through the commercials. I skip through all the Mamba Jamba. And uh, when, I, when I re-watch it, I re-watch the, the essence of the actual game. This was a game where when you really step back and look at the essence of how the game played out, like you said, how could you have not? Hollywood could have scripted it any better. Villanova got out to a pretty quick start. Overall, UNC held their game. And then Villanova got off to a pretty fast start, and they—they they, it was—it was interesting because you saw UNC running up and down the court, and they looked like the team that was more controlled. But in reality, in the first half, Villanova really held the pace of the game, the first part of the game, and then all of a sudden UNC made a little bit of a quick run there in the second half. You know, in the first part of the second, first part, excuse me, end of the first half, and then at the beginning of the second half, they kind of made a little bit more of a run. It took a pretty big lead going past the halftime, but then you started seeing, which was fascinating, about the, about the 18, 17-minute mark of the game, you saw a change in Villanova where they just said, you know what, we're not going to make mistakes. We're going to use the time. We're going to use the clock as our friend. We're going to churn the ball. We're going to find ways to get open, and when we, when we get open shots, we're going to take them. We're going to take good contested jumpers because in the first three minutes of the second half, they were taking horribly contested jumpers, horrible uh, jump shots up and down the court, and you were thinking, okay, they're, they're freaking out because it, 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 they just got off the halftime. They're trying to they're trying to adjust to some adjustments and try to get up quick shots to get back and within the game. They were down five at half, 39-34, and you saw them tr- press a little bit, and the moment they started doing that and, and freaking out a little bit, you saw before that first media timeout, you saw them take a little bit of a chill, calm down, then you started seeing them get into their offensive sets, get into what they wanted to do. And, and frankly enough, we all know this before the season, UNC was ranked the number one team in the nation before the season for a reason. And they were a team with the more talent. They had the better players. They had more NBA, more talented NBA-ready players now than Villanova did. But you saw a team who looked – and this, and again, it defines what the whole tournament has been all tournament long – and something you've mentioned multiple times, Jonathan, the smaller, the less likely teams to win show more poise. And that's what Villanova did in the final 15 minutes of this ballgame. And I know the final finish was what it was, and it was obviously incredible, and there's nothing that you can describe what happened. Poise was there by Villanova in the moments of the game that mattered. And you saw them taking the lead, taking the lead and, and extending the lead and, and, and attacking the game like it was theirs to win, not North Carolina's to dominate. And they found a way to really churn out. It got to a 10-point lead at one point, and Villanova looked like they were going to run away with it. And then I was, I was watching the team stream portion for UNC, and I was hearing them talk about not bragging or anything or saying, you know, freaking out or anything about, you know, UNC, but they were talking about, look, there's a point in time where they got to make them run, and they did. With about six, seven minutes left in the – or about six, uh, five minutes left in the game, they found a way to chip away, chip away, chip away, chip away. And they, but the thing was is Villanova kept answering. They weren't answering what they necessarily needed to do, but they found a way to answer. They found a way to get it done. And North Carolina at one point, obviously the Marcus Page three-pointer tied it up. And that was and it was and it was only a one point game with a minute left to go. Villanova had the lead, and that was when you saw the essence of the game take its place. And that was like you said, a movie couldn't script necessarily what happened in that final minute. It was uh, absolute intensity, madness at its finest, and what a way to finish out the season. Obviously, Chris Jenkins shooting the three. I mean, 
What did you say? Okay, I wanted to ask you a question, Jonathan, uh, before we move forward and talking more about this game. What was your take on what this Villanova team did in the second half to really regain their poise and take better jump shots and better shots altogether in the final 12, 15 minutes of the ball game that really, really, in my opinion, even, even though the final minute was chaotic, up until the final minute, what did you see from this team in Villanova that really cemented them looking like the better team over a more superior, more talented team in North Carolina? Well, they, they started going back to just being more efficient again on offense the way they had been in the tournament. They were a little out of sorts and a little bit of credit to that goes to the North Carolina defense in the first half. You know, they, they weren't letting Villanova do what they wanted to do. But, but what, what I – what, what to me the turning point for Villanova, and this is huge. Everyone's going to remember the shot by Chris Jenkins at the end to win it, and rightly so, uh, with, with an ending like that. You know, fairy tale ending to win it, win it at the buzzer like that, and the streamers coming down and everything like we're saying. But to me, we won't know how this plays out if it's different. But when it's 39-32 at the end of the first half, and the, and the final seconds are winding down, and 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 North Carolina has a breakaway. And they're about to go up nine, and it looks like yeah, they're going to take a 41-32 lead going into the break. To me, if they go up nine right there, and I, I, I was watching the game, and I, I said, you know, at the time, it was about a minute to go or so, and I said, they've got to get this to a manageable number. Now, now certainly, look, you're down nine, and a team like Villanova, as good as they've been in this tournament, they, they can right. come back, certainly. But I just had a feeling that the way the first half had gone, how close it had been, and with North Carolina being the favorite, if they finish the half strong, and they had to that point, and they finish it and they close it out, and, and a game that was you know one, two, three point game most of the half is all of a sudden 41-32 at halftime. I kind of felt that North Carolina was going to come out in the second half strong and just kind of not necessarily pull away, but but just kind of stay in a, at a comfortable margin where they wouldn't weren't going to let Villanova kind of really really get back in, in the game and maybe take control of the game like they did in the second half. And for Josh Hart to get that block at the end of the first half on, on the on – the, I believe it was the Justin Jackson uh, reverse lap in, in the final seconds, about under 10 seconds ago in the half. And then for that to lead the other way, Archie Diacono takes it, pushes it the other way real quick, and they get it down for, for a, a Phil Booth uh, jumper, I think just inside the foul Four line. Four-point swing. Oh, not an easy shot. Yeah, and, and, he, and he hit it with, with just a second to go on the half. That swing right there, we'll never know how it play, would have played out at 41-32, sure. but I just had the sense that that was such a huge turning point for Villanova because to go in the locker room off of a play like that, a hustle play, with a great block like Josh Hart hustling back on defense and transition defense to get the block and then to go the other way and get the jumper and to make that a five-point game at halftime instead of a nine-point game, and then they could go in that locker room and regroup and then come out in the second half and just, you know, just, just be patient with the shot clock, work the ball around, more player exactly. movement, more, more ball movement, and, and a little less one-on-one with they, they were trying to, they, they, they kind of got into a little bit too much in the first half. Just, just take good shots, good high percentage shots like they'd been do, like we'd seen them do, you know, against Iowa, like we'd seen them do against Kansas, like we'd seen them do all tournament long uh, <laughs> against Oklahoma, yeah. certainly when they blew them out, that was a total shot yeah. beating them that easily. And, and just be able to do that. But it was that turning point at the end of that first half, that play, to me, was such a big swing. You know, you talk so much. A lot of people talk about what happened in the second half and what happened at the end of the game. And, right. and a lot of times, games are you know what happens in the first half doesn't have that much of an impact. To me, 
that was such a big swing just psychologically or momentum-wise yeah. to go into the locker room down five instead of nine. And, and from there, I think that's where they were able to go in the locker room and make adjustments and regroup and come out and say, okay, we're in this game. We got this. We just have to go back to what we're doing, build over basketball, be efficient on offense, move the ball, move without the ball, get good high percentage shots. And that's exactly what they did. And, uh, and defensively, it, that also, you know, just not allowing North Carolina to get in the paint. It's not that North Carolina wasn't looking to get in the paint like they had been all tournament, like they had yeah. been all season. Yeah. It's just that North, Villanova wasn't letting them, which was a surprise exactly. because, you know, they just don't have the size to stop, you would think, to to stop North Carolina from doing that. But just sheer hustle and heart and just, just yes. from that standpoint, being able to keep North Carolina from doing what they wanted to do, getting into the paint uh, defensively, and just just fifty fifty balls getting on the floor, just diving after balls, and 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 just sheer intensity stepped up in the second half at the defensive end as well as the offensive end, and and just for a while they just wanted it more for most of that second half until Carolina kind of finally made that push at the end to, to tie the game up again. You know what the most fascinating thing about all of this is as you're as you're as you're mentioning how they beat North Carolina, and. As you're talking and as you're as you're as I'm thinking and as I'm as I'm bringing up and trying to think of ideas to to bring up about this game and how magnificent it was, the the and you mentioned it obviously that that breakaway at the second at the end of the first half to go into the second half big momentum shift there, um, and even Roy Williams brought it up going into the half. He said, "Look, I, I like where we're at, but I don't like how that ended." And he mentioned how yeah. that could have changed the entire complexity of the ball game, and it did, and, and, and it really did. Because yeah, Villanova kind of came out a little cold in the, in the, at, the, at the beginning of the second half. They didn't look like their self, but the moment they calmed down with about 17 minutes left in the game, 16 minutes left in the game, you like you said, you saw them starting to really tempo the ball, push the ball, play the way they wanted to play, and like you said, out hustle, out heart, out play North Carolina down low with their strength. Look, and they even said it on the North Carolina team cast that I was watching. This North Carolina team, all they got to do to win is beat them down low in the paint. Well, as the second half started taking place and as it started playing itself out, the North Carolina team cast was like, uh-oh, what are we going to do if we can't do what we want to do down low in the paint and beat this team the way we're supposed to beat them? And, and that was, and you started seeing it more and more and more. And every single time Villanova went up for a shot, they got an offensive rebound. Every time they got an offensive rebound, they reset their plays. Every time they got to reset their plays, they had a good open shot. Every time, every time North Carolina grabbed a rebound, every time, uh, every time North Carolina put a shot up, Villanova was right there to grab the board. It was, and it was kind of like the last game when they played Oklahoma. They beat Oklahoma big time because they shot so well from the field, because they played so fundamental, because they found ways to, to just dig at this team. And, and we, we just mentioned how this team, how this team is not, quote-unquote, a Cinderella team. But if you look at the teams they've beaten in the last three games, you got to sit back and say, you know, obviously we just came off a big-time victory. But these last three wins for this team, if you would have sat back and told – Okay, just just sit, just sit back. Obviously, we just came off a national title game that was unbelievable. Unbelievable from the standpoint of just how it ended and all that. And obviously, Chris Jenkins, the game winner, crazy. But just step back for a moment. And if you would have told someone back in February, shoot, a month ago, if you would have sat back and told someone a month ago prior to March Madness, which is the beauty of March Madness, that Villanova was going to beat Kansas, Oklahoma, with Player of the Year, Buddy Heald, no debate. I don't know why he didn't win AP Player of the Year, but we can get into that later. Um, 
and and then also North Carolina, who was preseason number one and clearly in the best conference in all of college basketball, in the North Carolina Tar Heels, and then they knocked off uh, Hawaii. They not excuse me. They knocked knocked off Miami. You know, uh, right before they beat Kansas. Those are four very 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 tough teams, and I mean Kansas beating Kansas, beating Oklahoma, and beating a team like North Carolina, all really back-to-back-to-back, is in and of itself a Cinderella story because I don't think anyone thought that Villanova could have done this. And on top of that, beating an Oklahoma team with player of the year in Buddy Heald, beating them by nearly 40, almost 50 points. They, they absolutely destroyed Oklahoma and how they beat them. And with that being said, this Villanova team flat out won the championship the right way. People are going to sit back and say, oh, you know, whatever, and, and this and that, and X, Y, Z. But no, they, they came out, and with the way this season went, from February, from pretty much the beginning of conference play, at the end of December, beginning of January, all the way up until tonight, this was the perfect finish to how the entire season went about. Imperfectly. The, the team, the smaller team, with the more hustle, with the more grit, the more determination, the way the game's supposed to be played, the team that wanted to win the game got it done. And they got it done in a fashion that was so underdog-like, even though they weren't necessarily an underdog all year, they were a very top-seeded team all year in the Big East. And they found a way to get it done in the NCAA tournament with so much parity, so much parity this year, that they found a way to stay within that parity realm and get it done from the two seed, beating a team like Kansas in the bracket that we all thought Kansas would steamroll. They beat them, they beat Oklahoma, and then they beat UNC. You talk about Cinderella from the standpoint of how could they do that? They did it because they played the game the right way. They played the game tough. They played the game physical. They out-hustled. That's the only way you can describe how this team won the national title because you shouldn't beat Kansas on paper. There's no way you beat Kansas on paper. There's no way you beat Oklahoma on paper with Buddy Hield. And there's no way you beat UNC on paper, but they did it because they played the game the right way and what it should do with kids and everybody else who watches the game, whether it's the NBA, whether it's whatnot, because the NBA is coming around the, around the block now. It's a postseason now in about eight days. Um, or excuse me, the end of the regular season in eight days, postseason about 10, 11 days. But with that being said, it should go to show you that on any given night, if you put your best game out there and you play as a cohesive unit and play to your strength and find ways to just grit out the parts that are your weaknesses, you can win any game in college basketball. And this team proved it throughout the tournament in these final three games. Anything else, Jonathan, before we kind of move on to some other topics? Well, yeah, I just wanted to bring up too, you talk about, you know, this being kind of a, somewhat of a Cinderella run I mean, it's it you know you don't really kind of think of it that way because they're a two seed but if you actually look at see I saw something earlier today that uh for North Carolina because of who they had to go through um this would have actually been one of the least tested uh champions you know in in, in recent years even maybe uh of all time you know in terms of of, of the seedings that that they had to go through you know just the way it broke from it's not anything that they could control but you know it right. was one of the one of the easier ones in recent years that, that had they had they wanted but so so it just got me because hearing you talk about that with what with the path that that villanova had and i looked i looked at that about north carolina and i think what it was i forget which team it was but i think the highest or or, or the, the the lowest 
total number was 28, right? The toughest path, which, you know, would have been the, uh, yeah. if you add up all the seeds that you went through, it was 28. Uh, and I think this now for Villanova, if you look at who they went through, you know, obviously the 15 seed, you can't control that. You know, Asheville as the two seed, you know, in the first round. But after that, they played Iowa 17. And then from the Sweet 16 on, they went through a 3-1-2-1. and I mean, that's, that's, like you said, that's pretty impressive, especially when one, when the two ones in that group are the two ones that everyone had playing in the national championship. If you would ask yes. most people, the, the popular consensus to play in the title game, you know, a lot of people did have Michigan State, but I think most people had a final of two one seeds, Kansas and North Carolina. Well, Villanova beat both of them on the way to the title. Other than that, they beat a two seed in Oklahoma who – I guess a lot of people probably felt was maybe the strongest two seed uh, outside of Michigan State, and then the three seed Miami, which was no slouch. They were they were a dangerous, talented three seed. So if you add that all up, what do you get? You get 29 to so the 15, seven, three, one, two, and wow. one. The the highest that I saw earlier in the, with that with 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 what I was talking about with North Carolina was 28. Or the lowest, you would say, but you know the best, yeah. the best, the toughest path. So I, I guess this makes if you add up seed wise, this would probably make them make it seed wise if you add it all up the second toughest path for a national champion ever. I think 28 was the uh, was was the toughest, and if you add up Villanova's, you get 29. So you know what more can you say about right. this team? Like you said, they just did it on heart and guile and intensity and and just just wanting it more. That whole second half. Uh, right before the the final push that North Carolina made, but for the majority of that second half, it was just North, Villanova just wanted that game more. And, they, you know, they, at each end of the floor, picked up their defensive intensity, went after 50-50 balls a little bit more. Uh, you know, you have to be – people talk about toughness on, on, on defense. Uh, you got to be tough on offense, too. you got to be mentally sharp on offense. you got to be mentally tough. You can't turn the ball over. you got to take care of the ball. you got to get good shots. And that's what they did. So they, you know, they were just a tougher team. They wanted it more, and and you know, had the second toughest path it looked like of all time for a champion. And this was a tough, tough basketball team, and certainly a very worthy champion. And from that standpoint, what a better way to wrap up a college basketball season? I know you're going to be having fits there, uh, Jonathan, with uh, you wanting to cover in basketball. It's going to be it, it's it's so funny how you know, in college sports, especially more than the pros, because the pros kind of wind down with series and how they do things, obviously the Super Bowl, but that obviously overhypes itself for two weeks and then finally it ends, but that kind of even overhypes itself and winds down. Uh, you know, professional sports kind of winds down and you're kind of like, okay, thank God it's done because it's been so long or it's been overhyped. College college sports, especially, especially the NCAA tournament, you have, you have Selection Sunday, you have all this hype for brackets, all this crazy hype, and then you go into week one, and, and as, we, as we experienced, obviously for four straight days, it was pure nuts, Just at the, especially that Friday. That second day was just a cra- one of the, cra- if not the craziest day we've ever had in college basketball ever. Um, and then you get to the, you get to the uh, Sweet 16, Elite Eight. You know, rather good matchups, great matchups. Obviously some of the best matchups you'll see all year, probably the best basketball you should be able to see all year long in those games. And then you get to the final four, two games, and then bam, national championship game two days later, and it's over. There's really there's no hype uh, when it comes to college basketball. Once you get down the stretch, all the real hype takes place at the beginning, which is fascinating because you know in most sports the hype kind of builds over time. 
Whereas in college basketball, all the hype starts in the, at the beginning, and once certain teams get knocked off and the certain you know uh, storylines take place and whatnot, all those kind of things and the cliches, everything goes out the window, and the hype starts to disappear. But this Villanova team, what a better way. Again, you heard it from Jonathan, 29. They got a 29 uh, when it came to overall, you know, seedings that they faced going on through, and it's it's one of the one of the lower uh, numbers you can get going through. And what a way to define this year in college basketball from conference play all the way through. It was one of those years where I'm sure Jonathan, as you covered, obviously covering the Colonial and just watching college basketball overall. I can't think of a more – honestly, and I know this is going to be the trend going forward in, in college basketball and, 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 and basketball in general, but the parity level in college basketball is so high. I mean, it is – I mean, you talk about one of the uh, more parity-driven top tens we've ever seen, the highest amount of losses we've had in the top ten ever. And I've mentioned this over, year, over the time, and I, I don't want to get your take on this before I let you talk more. College basketball needs to do something where they need to implement a top 40 list instead of a top 25. <laughs> because top 25 does not do justice to what we saw this year. Look, you saw a team in Texas come in and out of the top. They're a the perfect example. They were a team that, were number, that was number 30, number 22, number 25, number 23, number 24. They were hovering around that 25 list all year long. And you could make the case at some points in the year they were the number 35 team. At some points they were the number 25 team. And the only reason I think they were in the top 25 was because they were a quote-unquote, you know, big marketable team. And, and honestly, I think from the standpoint of the NCAA, if they did a top 40 instead of a top 25 it would allow for people to understand and see the voting and the understandings behind why teams are coming in and out because I think 25 is too narrow and I'm not trying to sit here and say eventually we should get to a top 100 or a top 50 or go you know go way too far out I think a top 40 would be perfect in college basketball because of the 36 uh, uh, automatic qualifying bids and it would allow people to visually see and understand who the top 40 teams really are, because as we know, the top 25 doesn't really spell out every single team. It kind of just spells out, you know, kind of a general sense of, okay, who's the top teams in the nation. I think the top 40 is where college basketball needs to start going here over the next couple of years because of the standpoint of all the parity we have. A true number one is not seeming to be a thing for the future. We saw that this year. There was no true number one. There were multiple teams in that number one spot all year long. And as you mentioned, and as, we, and as I've mentioned multiple times throughout the year, uh, this year in college basketball, we saw a number one team there at one, for one week, and then the next week they dropped down to five because they lose two straight games. Or they lose one game within their week of being number one. We saw that multiple times this year. Do you see that being the norm? And also, do you think a top 40 ranking would be something that would be an idea for college basketball to explore? Well, I think you know at least with the AP vote, uh, it's kind of based on I guess the number of of uh, number of uh, media members uh, who who do the voting. So uh, you know you do have the top twenty five, then you have the, that section with the others receiving votes, and by the time you get to that, it, it essentially is somewhere around the extra fifteen teams that you know, and and although they don't call it 26 through whatever 36 38 40 that's essentially what it is because you know after you have the top 25 you have the uh you have the others receiving votes and you might have a you know a team getting say 30 something votes and then another team getting you know a little less votes you know 20 something votes and so on and so on until you get down to the one or two or three teams that each get that one vote 
uh, and, and you know, they're, they're counting that, others receiving votes. So you kind of have that already, but maybe they should uh, just might as well make it 26 through 40 or <laughs> just round it out and, right. and and just vote, you know, just to make it, just to make it an even 40. Because like you said, there's so much parity this year. I mean, look at, look at the, look at the records of the teams that play in the championship game. I mean, we're one year removed right. from a team going to the final four undefeated last year. Right. Yes. And, and in most years you're going to see the dominant team, uh, there's a team to beat, you know, having being a one or two or three loss team, maybe at most in, in most years, uh, maybe the one, you know, the one seed overall in the tournament, or the team that, that, that's the team to beat, uh, or even that the team that, that makes it to the championship game. And in, in past years, that's often what we had seen. Uh, but you know, this year, look what you had. You had Carolina, a six-loss team. You had Villanova, five-loss team. So, so you knew somebody was going to have at minimum five losses uh, as, as, a, as a champion. Uh, and you know, just that alone tells you how much parity there was. You know, we saw, I believe it was. Seven teams that were uh, that were number one that lost this year. Villanova was one of them at one point that was number one, and, and they had lost. Um, uh, I believe it was for the first time in their history. I think um, certainly first time under Jay Wright during the regular season that they were number one. Uh, and we, I think we had somewhere in the high 30s is somewhere around 36 or 38 teams that were in the top five that lost this year. So certainly yes. a lot more parity this year. And we saw it in the tournament again. Uh, to me, this is one of the best tournaments ever. I, I, I still think yes. the 1990 tournament, not the finish, because the finish to this tournament, although we didn't have a very competitive Final Four, uh, no. certainly – the championship game was was the best. And, you know, I was kind of looking at that too. You know, just to to kind of see where this fits. You know, some of the games that we were talking about before. We talked about that Indiana Syracuse game in '87, but maybe some of the ones we left out. Obviously, the next year, Danny Manning and Danny and the Miracles with Kansas upsetting Oklahoma. That was a good game. It was '83-79. Following year, we had that that questionable call with Ramil Robinson and in overtime. There's one of the yeah. few overtimes we've had in recent years in Michigan uh, beat Seton Hall in that questionable foul call in overtime by a point. Uh, you could talk about the game in 97. It was a well-played game. Arizona beats Kentucky by five in overtime. And then that 08 game where Memphis couldn't make free throws down the stretch oh, and, and uh, Kansas pull, pulls that one out. It was a great game. Uh, um, I was at the one in, in, in 03. Uh, when Syracuse, when Carmelo led Syracuse to the title over Kansas by three that points, eighty-one seventy-eight, that, that was a good championship. Game. So yeah, that, you know that. So there's been some some pretty good championship games in recent years, but but just in terms of how this game was played, start to finish, and just the ending of it uh, with 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 the game tying three, double clutch three, and then Chris Jenkins winning it at the buzzer. We haven't seen quite that finish, and and I don't think this level of play over the whole game. So I think this, to me, this is still the best championship game. Not the biggest upset, like we said, because there's been bigger upsets, but, but best championship game. And I think, although it's not the best tournament, I think 1990 to me is still probably the best tournament just because there were so many incredible moments in, in the, in the second round and the sweet 16 and, and, and elite eight. And you had the, the great story with Loyola Marymount and their run, uh, after yeah. in, in the tribute to Hank Gathers and so many other games in that tournament that that came down to the wire or big upsets. Um, uh, I think that was the Tate George game where we had that that game at the end and and then and then Duke with a the big shot at the end to, to beat U- UConn. Yeah. And, 
there's so many great moments in that tournament. The only problem with that one is it ended up with UNLV just crushing Duke by 30 in the championship. So that was kind of anticlimactic. Yeah. But to me, overall, aside from that championship and, and also a Final Four that wasn't that competitive really that year, everything before the Final Four that year, to me, that was still probably the best uh, tournament that I've seen. But this one's right up there. I think other than that, I think, and you know, partly because of this parody that we're talking about, this is probably, to me, was the second best tournament, I think, overall. Uh, you know, there were some days that there weren't a lot of drama, but, you know, we saw that one day, I, I think it was that oh that, that Friday, Friday, right? We were talking about it. We had we did the show after that one, and that oh to me, that still goes down as the best day in the tournament. I know we had the 215 seeds win with Florida Gulf Coast, and, and uh, I think it was North Dakota State, right, and uh on the same day and the only time that's ever happened. And there, you know, we've had some great days recently, but to me, that was the, that, that was the best day that Friday that we had uh, on that, that second day of that, that, that first round. Um, and then, you know, just some of the other things that happened in this tournament and then culminating with what to me is probably the most well-played start to finish and best ending to a championship game to, to cap off a, a incredible season with a lot of parity. So to me, it's got to go down as one of the best seasons we've seen in college basketball history, maybe the second best tournament we've ever seen and, and probably the best championship game that we've seen the most competitive and, and most well played overall, I think. So, you know, just to put a bow on it, I think this got to go up there is, is one of the best seasons we've ever seen overall. You know, you take it from start to what we see tonight. I agree. And, and I think the frustrating thing for me um, throughout, and, and I think the one thing that's the most frustrating for me throughout this tournament was Saturday. And I wanted to get your take on what happened on mm. the final <laughs> four on Saturday. Yeah. It was, it was one of the worst final fours I've ever seen. <laughs> um, I mean, we just, we just talked, it's funny talked about how we just had an unbelievable yeah. championship game, which we did. And that's not to take away from the fact that, you know, what happened in the final four was dreadful. I mean, it, it's mm-hmm. so sad because there's so much, I mean, especially today, and it's only going to get worse from, not worse, but, but more, more, more stakes, more money will be put into everything as time goes forward with all this. But this is the most money they've put into this thing in the final four in a, in a long time, especially with the two hour selection Sunday show, the money that they're putting in, it is absolutely ridiculous. And with where the final four went this year being so, I mean, it was horrid. I mean, you saw a team in Villanova absolutely just gut wrench a team like Oklahoma just destroy them, and then you saw, a, a, you know, two teams that face each other already twice in the regular season in Syracuse and North Carolina, and you saw North Carolina just absolutely manhandle Syracuse. I mean, you saw them just absolutely tear them apart. This was one. I mean, um, when it came to the Final Four. That was the one thing out of this entire tournament that if you could just erase from memory, which I know people will already do because of this game tonight, but it was one of the worst, most dreadful things I've ever seen. What what was your take on the Final Four? And is this just kind of one of those things that happens from time to time, like you mentioned with the 1990 tournament? Is this just something that happens from time to time every once in a while? Yeah, I mean, Villanova, and, and Jay Wright said it too after the game, Villanova and Oklahoma, if they play again, you know, they're, they're, Villanova is not 44 points better than Oklahoma. That's just one of those things where everything just went right for Villanova and and everything just went I mean, wrong for Oklahoma. They shot 70% from the field. I mean, that's just yeah. Crazy. I mean, and, and and Jay Wright said, you know, he said, look, we're not going to do that again. Although they did shoot pretty well again tonight, wasn't quite you know in the 70s, but uh, I guess what they end up with maybe around 
think it was around 57% or 55% tonight. So they did shoot the ball very well again, uh, mostly because, like we said before, their efficiency in the second half. But, but you know, we, we knew that, that that if they play again, Oklahoma and Villanova, they, that's they're not a they're not 44 points better than Oklahoma. We saw in the regular season. I mean, you know, right. Villanova was four for 32 from three point range. That's not them either uh, in the regular season, and they lost 78-55. And then they had a 67 point turnaround from that game, losing by 23 to Oklahoma in I think December, to beating them by 44 in the final four. But you know, you can look at it this way. You could say if if this was the best championship game ever, and and you know we're kind of comparing it to others, and we, we right now we're saying that we believe it is. Uh, you could look at it this way: as dominant as Villanova was in the Final Four against Oklahoma, and as as dominant as North Carolina proved to be against Syracuse in the, in the Final Four, uh, that just speaks to how good these teams really were. And right. when they met in a championship game, it's two qu- two very good quality teams that played a great championship game. So, you know, if you had had two teams that, that squeaked by in the Final Four against Syracuse and, and Oklahoma, and then they play a game like this in the championship, you could say, well, you know, how good are they really? Because they could have yeah. lost those games in the Final Four. They may not have even made it. But for them to be so dominant in the Final Four games, it, it, like I said, it just speaks to how good they were. Uh, until they played each other, and then they, it showed that how competitive they were against each other because they're both two really good teams. So it kind of, you know, although it wasn't competitive and it was it was uh, a little disappointing in terms of uh, what we wanted to see on Saturday, it kind of feeds into the idea that maybe tonight was really one of the one of the best things we've seen for a finals because. Uh, you had two really good teams going at it, and, and it came right down to the end. Um, but for Villanova against Oklahoma, you know, it was a 13-point game in the second half. Oklahoma was trying to hang in there, and all of a sudden, you know, Villanova just goes on an incredible run. They they score the next 25 points, and a 13-point game becomes a 38-point game. I've never Jeez. seen anything like that in a Final Four, yeah. even in even in the NCAA. Even even a one against a 16, you don't see that sometimes. You know, a 13-point game becoming 38. Uh, you know, in just the span of a few minutes, where where the other team just can't score a point, and, and the team ahead pulls ahead by scoring the next 25 in a row. So that was to me that was in, that was impressive but it was also shocking you know and to and give Villanova credit because not only their efficiency you pointed out you know shooting over 70 percent in in that game but what they did defensively and Buddy Hill is a good scorer he's a great player I still think he might be the best scorer in the whole country and for him to be held to nine points in that game when he came into the tournament in in the final four averaging 29.3 in the tournament you know, for for them to hold him 20 points under his tournament average in the fi- in his state on a stage like that in the Final Four, that was just an incredible job by Villanova defensively, and um, that's a lot of what led to that 25 uh, point 25-0 run was they made a stop defensively. They had such active hands, got their hands on ball uh, on the basketball, and got their hands in passing lanes, and were able to just turn their defense into offense and into easy buckets at the other end. And and it, it, you know, it also Kind of looked like you know I don't Oklahoma's been so great this year, so I don't right. want to disparage them in this way because they've had such a great season and and they really did, but they almost looked like they were so disheartened that they just quit. They they just looked yeah. like after a while, okay, we're not even going to try and get back on defense because this is over and we're just too disheartened by this. We wanted this so bad and 
look what they're doing to us. There's just no point in even competing anymore. And I think Villanova just broke their will uh, with that yeah. run in the second half. You just could see it in the body language of Oklahoma. And then the other game, it, it was just in the paint, you know, and, and that's to Villanova's credit again today because they're not an exceptionally big team. But you saw what North Carolina did to them, 50 points in the paint against Syracuse. Oh, my uh, That's where they beat them up. That's where they won that game. Uh, 50 points in the paint is a lot for for any college game and uh, even for some NBA games and, and for Villanova yeah. to actually control that. I don't know what it ended up with, but I know at some point in the second half when they were in control, they were, they were outscoring Carolina 30 to 20 in the paint, uh, which was very surprising at the time because that's coming off Carolina scoring the 50 in the paint against Syracuse only two days later. So to see that from Villanova, <laughs> is just really impressive and, and really shocking yeah. to tell you the truth because uh, that's not something that nobody expected Villanova to do to, to, to do to Carolina to keep them out of the paint like that. And, and not only keep them out of the paint, but to actually do damage at the other end and outscore North Carolina in the paint. Nobody expected that, especially after what the Tar Heels did to Syracuse. Well, the most fascinating thing, and, 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 it's, and you brought it up earlier in your point, is you know, as much as they did beat the other teams, you know, as much as UNC beat Syracuse and as much as Villanova beat Oklahoma, with them playing the way they played, great, good basketball, quality basketball, controlling the ball, not playing sloppy, playing, you know, playing solid game, fundamental. That's the other thing, too. Villanova out-fundamentaled UNC tonight. And that's the one thing I think everyone can appreciate who's, who understands the game of basketball at its purity is that when you out-fundamental another team, it doesn't matter who you have on the floor. You could have Hickory out there. You could have Hickory from the 1960s in that Hoosiers movie, and they could beat a team. You could have an old man squad out there. If they have perfect fundamentals, they're going to win. And that's exactly what Villanova did to UNC tonight in this game. And when they won, and, and the reason why they were in it at the end, and obviously the reason why they stayed in it is because their fundamentals kept them in the ballgame. Both these teams fundamentally coming in, and it, uh, trust me, it, and you know this uh, watching the game tonight, Jonathan, both these teams fundamentally were very sound. Yes, they both made 10-plus turnovers uh, in the game, but that was because both defensively and offensively, they found ways to keep themselves in it. And there were times where they got sloppy. Don't get me wrong. Obviously, Villanova starting the second half, they were a little sloppy. End of the first half, Carolina, North Carolina was a little sloppy. There were little bits and pieces where they were sloppy. But for the most part, I'd say about 85 to 90% of the ball game was played very well under control. Both teams played their style of style of basketball, and it just turned out to be one of the best games we've ever seen, not from just the standpoint of it being entertaining down the stretch, but entertaining from the standpoint of both teams really playing their offense. And you saw some really good sets in the game. You saw some quality fundamental basketball up a want to see when they see college basketball. And that's the stuff people, I think, all year long, from the casual fan haven't been seeing and hopefully tonight for people who you know national radio hosts i listen to a lot of national radio hosts i know you do too jonathan and a lot of people bash on the college game and how you know it's not it's not fun to watch it's not it's tough to watch because it's so fundamentally you know draining and it's so not casual friendly and all this stuff look if you didn't think tonight's game wasn't casual friendly in a 77 74 classic I don't know what, you, what you're watching. I don't know what kind of WWE, NBA basketball you're watching because this was one of the greatest games we've ever seen from the standpoint of overall play and from the standpoint of just entertainment value altogether. This is what college basketball is today on a normal basis. And unfortunately, a lot of people, when they tune into games such as, you know, LSU with Ben Simmons or, you know, Kentucky with their young, young guys early on in the season, and they think that college basketball is going to be great like it was tonight. People – 
you need to understand, if you're listening to the show right now, late, obviously it's late. If you're listening to the podcast, you understand where I'm coming from on this. If you're going to follow college basketball in November, understand these are 18-year-old kids coming straight out of high school. They were in high school six months ago starting in November. A lot of the guys going into getting recruited right now for college basketball are not going to look like they're going to look like in March or in April when they play in national championships. They're not going to look this crisp. It's not going to do that. And I think that's where a lot of the discussion about, you know, obviously the college game extending and making it a three-year thing instead of a two-year thing at, or a one-year thing at minimum, I think that's where the discussion comes in because I understand that process. But from the standpoint of, look, college basketball fundamentally and with the way the game's going, I said this before the tournament, I said this in all of March, the college game is at the best it's ever been because coaches have nearly perfected their craft at getting their players where they want to get them. And we're seeing that more and more. And it's a process. It's a growth. As you, as you know more than anybody, Jonathan, watching college basketball and covering the Colonials, especially the smaller conference that you cover, you know this more than anybody. You see teams from the beginning of the year look completely different by the time they get the conference play. Yeah. Somehow, some way, their journeys take them throughout the year in a different fashion that gets them to a certain point. And once they get to that conference tourney, something clicks, something doesn't click, some of the flaws show, some of the things show. It, it, it turns into this masterpiece that something like the NBA can't really describe, something that college football can't really bring because it's so shortened overall, something that it just, it just brings that out of these teams in March when it comes conference tournament time. And then once the NCAA tournament gets going, you see all these teams at their top level, and you see the entertainment value that we saw on that Friday night in the second game of the, tur- uh, of the, of the tournament, the second day of the tournament on that Friday. You, you see these games. You see these games like tonight where you see the play so crisply played, and that's what we mean by college basketball being at its best that we've never seen before because, let's be honest, kids that were 18, 19 years old back in the 90s, 80s, 70s, Outside of obviously you got MJs and a couple of guys, majority of the guys who are good now at 18 and 19 are not are, are just so much so much more advanced than guys were 34 years. And that's just sports in general, but you see that more often. And so when people rip on the college game and say it's not as entertaining as it used to be, it's not as ever, understand that these 18, 19 year old kids are going to mature throughout the year. If you start watching college basketball in November, you're going to be disappointed. Why do you think me, as a host of this show and as a basketball observer, don't really take anything for any grant? I don't take anything for, for like grant when it comes to November. I don't look at any tape. I don't look at what anyone's doing. I don't care. I look at it as like spring training in baseball. It doesn't mean anything. What they do in November doesn't mean anything. It's what they start doing in the middle portions of conference play obviously the conference tournament, and clearly when the NCAA tournament's going on. Clearly, clearly. But it's mostly the middle portion of the season when you're going to start seeing the college game really ramp up to what you saw in a game like tonight. You're not going to see a classic every night, but you're going to see quality play. And what you saw tonight was quality play. And that's what college basketball has risen to for not just the ACC, the Big 12, uh, the Big 10, or the Pac-12, or any other big conferences that I forgot to mention. You're seeing it in conferences such as the ones that Jonathan is going on with the Colonial. Colonial has unbelievable teams, and you saw it, little spurts of it. That's why I'm saying, look, I know that I'm a little bit of out of the norm. I, I watched, I, I covered a lot of the conference tournaments this year, and believe me, I saw a lot of these teams, and I was like, I can't tell the difference because sometimes when you watch a game on TV and you watch like a, you know, you watch a team in, in a big conference, and then you watch a small a, a team in a small conference, you start to say. 
oh, okay, they're in a small conference for a reason. No, I saw a lot of these teams that won their conference tournaments. I was like, they can hang with a team like Ohio State, a middle-of-the-pack middle, middle, middle of the pack Big Ten team. They can hang with them. They can hang with Cal. They can hang with this. They can. You saw that this year more than any other year that I can remember because usually when I watch the small conference tournaments, I'm like, oh, no, they cannot hang. They cannot. But this year, it was a whole different story. And that's why when I hear people say, oh, college basketball is so hard to watch. It's hard to... Maybe you're only focusing on five, turn... five conferences. If you focus on all of the conferences and you watch all of the players, you start to recognize that there are some serious gems on some serious teams and some serious gem coaches, just serious gem programs all around the nation. And it's only getting better over time. That's the part that bugs me about people when they come in to say, oh, college basketball is not as entertaining as it used to be. Really? Go, don't watch it in November. Watch it right at the end of January, beginning of February. You will be in awe of how unbelievable college basketball is from about beginning of February all the way until the end of the, end of the tournament because you're going to see some of the best teams and even the teams, the best teams out of their smaller conferences come in and play these big teams. And it is, it's, it's the best college basketball we've ever seen, and, it, and it's borderline ridiculous how good how good some of these smaller conferences teams. Perfect example, Stephen F. Austin. Did you see Thomas walk up in the tournament? That guy is unbelievable. You put him on some other small, some other mid, mid, uh, big conference team in the Big Ten, Pac-12, all those big conferences. That guy, he might not be an instant starter, but he's coming off the bench and he's pulling a jimmer or something like that. That guy was freakishly good, and he was on a very, very, very good Stephen F. Austin program that won a conf- that won a game in the in the NCAA tournament this year because. They knew how to win games. They knew how to play fundamental sound basketball. That's the kind of stuff I'm talking about when it comes to the world of college basketball. And, Jonathan, I'm pretty sure you're one of those two that know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, I mean, you know, I would actually argue that, that for people who only jump on when, in, in, when March Madness rolls around, I would actually argue that they probably should watch from November because part of the fun is actually yeah. – Seeing the team grow, you know, when, exactly. I, when I cover a league like the CAA, you know, a, a team that once they get to to the conference tournament, uh, they they may not be what they were in November or December, or even January, even February for that matter. You know, um, that's part of the fun. Is, is and, and like you said, yeah, a team might not be clicking on all cylinders at all in November, exactly. or December. Yeah. So so people might be kind of turned off. But that that's kind of the charm. That's kind of the fun is to see the growth. You know, to to see the growth of individual players, coaches, uh, to to see how maybe systems might change if they have to do that during the course of the season, and just to see how teams gel together in different roles, uh, it'll just like just like people do see with the NBA, um, you know, you want to see how teams develop throughout the year, so that when you do get to this stage, and you do get to the NCAA tournament, and you do get to to a stage like this. Uh, you see that growth, you see that development. That's that's kind of the fun of it. Because if you're just jumping in at the last minute uh, in March Madness, yeah, that's fun, that's exciting. But that that also kind of takes away some of the fun throughout the season. So I would say to people, you know, if the people that that you're talking about that that maybe aren't that into college basketball, uh, I mean, look at look at what look at the excitement there was throughout the season. You know, we we talked about it before. All the top five teams that lost, all the top twenty teams that lost, all the all the number one teams that lost throughout the season. A lot of that yeah. happened in November, December, January, February. You know, that's that's part of the fun of all this, not just when you get to March Madness. So, and I, and I think 
this championship game that we saw, and, and actually looking back, you know, um, we were talking about comparing this championship game to some others. And one, one of the ones that we might have left out, which was a good one too, but I still think this probably surpasses it. It's the last time that we actually had the same score we had tonight, 77-74 in the final. That was that UConn win uh, over Duke back in, uh, in St. Petersburg, Florida, down in, uh, in 1999. The same score went right down the end. That was a pretty exciting game as well. I think it was El uh, Amin uh, team with uh, UConn. Uh, that, was, that was a pretty exciting championship game as well. But uh, and it's got to be thrown in the mix with some some of the some of the others. But I think this one still probably surpasses it, and especially just because of the ending, the way it was. But uh, but but Villanova winning this game, I think, is good for the game also. And it's a lot of some has some of the some of the things to do with with what we were saying before is that uh, just to see the all-out hustle and to see a team that's maybe not as as physically dominant, you know, not doesn't have guys that, that are as big or strong or maybe athletic in certain areas uh, as a team like North Carolina. For a team like that to to win just because they're able to play as a unit defensively, they're able to play as a unit offensively and be efficient offensively and get good shots and shoot 55%, 58%, in some cases 71% like we saw, yeah. which was ridiculous in the Final Four like Villanova did. Um, and, and for them to be able to work together – defensively and offensively as a unit and to to just will their way to victory in games that you, you might not think they'd be able to win against a team like, like Kansas or against a team like North Carolina tonight, just because that intensity is there. I, you know, rather than just a team like North Carolina who – now, you can't say that about them tonight because they shot the ball well, uncharacteristically, uncharacteristically for them from three-point range, but this was the worst three-point shooting team – North Carolina's ever had in their history, yes. so which says a lot because that's a history going back a long way uh, from one of the greatest programs in college basketball history. So uh, their offense, aside from tonight, had generally been their best offense would be, well, throw up a miss and go get it because you have the big guys up front and you'll get offensive rebounds and, and that's how you'll yeah. you'll get you rack up all those points in the paint that you usually get and you, you get second and third chances and that we didn't really talk about that, but Villanova did a good job of that too, as good as they yeah. could to keep North Carolina from getting a second, third, fourth opportunity. Sometimes for North Carolina tonight it was one and done. And that really helped out Villanova today because had they given up the offensive boards that North Carolina usually gets they probably wouldn't have won this game, but but it says it says something good for college basketball that a team that can work together as a unit at each end of the court and that can hustle can beat and it's not as big or maybe not as athletic in certain areas can beat the bigger, taller, stronger team that just throws up a shot, misses it, gets the offensive board, and gets a put back to score. To me, I mean. Yeah, it's, it, I, I kind of like that, too, in terms of hustle on North Carolina's part. But to me, that's not pretty basketball. It's not good basketball. To me, right. the style of play that, that Villanova played, especially offensively, to to create offense, well, well, and defensively, too, to create offense off their defense, but also to to work together as a unit offensively to get good shots and open shots and high percentage shots is a lot more is is a lot better game, a lot prettier game to watch than just throwing up a shot, missing it, and you get the offensive rebound to score just because you have bigger guys. So to me, yeah. it, you know, 
we talk about other sports, the NBA, maybe the NFL, especially being a copycat league. If college basketball is like that too, well, then this was a big win for college basketball for Villanova to get the victory with their style over the way North Carolina likes to score, you know, aside from tonight again, because they don't normally make the three. But to, to me, I'd rather have a team like Villanova and their style to watch. And if, pe- if teams are now going to emulate that because that's what won and, and North Carolina didn't win that way, which is big guys who can't necessarily shoot from the perimeter but just go get second and third chances and score just because they're bigger, well, that's good for college basketball because that didn't win. You know, Villanova style won out, exactly. and I think that if we're if teams are going to emulate that, I think Villanova winning tonight is not only good for their program, obviously, and for Jay Wright to get his first title, but maybe for college basketball in general. I agree with you on that point. Uh, from the standpoint of Villanova helping others, I mean, if you want to have it be a copycat type league, like you said, I honestly think that would be the best form for college basketball to take. Jonathan, it's the end of the college basketball season. What are you going to do with yourself now, now that the season's over? I guess we get ready for the NBA. <laughs> because that's going to be next. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, we got to see if uh, the Warriors get that record. Uh, hard to believe that they finally got their first home loss against the Celtics, but uh, that Celtics team is good. They're dangerous. They're going to be dangerous in the playoffs, and they showed why with that win. Uh, I was really hoping that the Warriors and Spurs could could – both go through unscathed at home because I thought it would be kind of cool. No one has ever done it before. And then the first time that anyone would do it, it would be two teams to do it in the same year. But obviously that's not going to happen now. So I'm rooting for the Spurs to do it just to see it, to just to see yeah. somebody do it. Uh, and, you know, and then look, if it ends up being the Warriors and Spurs, like we all think in the Western Files, it's going to be great. But, uh, um, you know, I think ending the season the way it was a great season and for it to end the way it did on that Chris Jenkins shot, um, it's easier to go through that college hoops withdrawal <laughs> because you had such a great ending yeah. the way you'd want to see. Um, so, so to have that and and the way it did tonight um, makes it easier to kind of turn your attention to the NBA and, and gear up for the playoffs. Should be should be great playoffs in each conference and uh, you know competitive in each conference. A lot of teams that that are going to be <clears throat> involved. I know you know everybody's going to be talking about and expecting. Uh, either the Warriors or the Spurs to go against the Cavs in the finals, and and probably we think that's what it's going to be. But uh, you know, stranger things have happened, and uh, yeah, uh, and that's one of the things too with college basketball that that it has over the NBA is this format. You know, if these teams play a seven-game series, you know, who knows if Villanova wins? Who knows if Villanova gets there? Maybe Kansas beats. You know, but right. it's one and done. You know, in the NBA. You don't have that, so obviously, so so you you often see the best teams advance and and get there in the end, and you you, you don't see an unexpected finish like this, and um, that kind of takes some of the excitement away from the NBA in, in turn, you know, compared to, to compared to this NBA right. tournament, but but I, I think it'll still be exciting anyway, and uh, it should be should be a lot of fun, and I guess that's what's up next. I think I think, uh, and I've told you this. Uh, especially with us moving to day, nights. Finally, we're going to be moving to nights starting uh, next Monday. I'm more than excited to do so. But I'm telling you, and I, I've, I've been telling Andrew this since since two months ago. I, I've been telling him, look, I think this is going to be one of the greatest Mays we've ever seen in NBA history. From the standpoint of the Western Conference playoffs is going to be, if it all turns out the way it should, which, you know, if it has 
if it has the Warriors playing, uh, you know, playing in the second round against either, I believe it'll be either be the, it more than likely be the Clippers. If they play the Clippers in the second round, clearly one of the biggest rivalries in all of basketball with those two teams in California. And then you have the Spurs and Thunder, two teams that absolutely don't like each other from the standpoint of, I mean, both those teams don't like, I mean, Thunder and Thunder and Warriors don't like each other. Clearly rivals, they hate each other. Um, and then you have the Spurs and Thunder who have played in multiple Western Conference finals and have been to the NBA finals over the last, you know, over the last three or four years. Outside of the Warriors reign, you've seen the Spurs and Thunder play in the Western Conference finals, I think, three of the last five years. I mean, they have found ways to get there and be competitive. That is Those two series, if those two series march up the way they're supposed to, that by itself is going to just emulate ratings bonanzas. And then if the two teams we think are going to make it, which I think they will, Spurs and Warriors, how could, I mean, I've said this multiple times, how is this not the greatest series we're ever going to see? I mean, really, these are, I mean, and Andrew brought up a great point. Look, if it wasn't for the Golden State Warriors crazy, you know, 70 win mark that they're about to hit this year um, season, the, Gold, the San Antonio Spurs might be a top five team all time. And because yeah. they're undefeated at home, and just the way that they have played the game of basketball, and I've even said this multiple times, they have them and the Spurs, but Golden State and San Antonio have both figured out the game of basketball. They have. I mean, the Spurs, and I've said this multiple times, the Spurs have rolled, defined roles on that team. When they're healthy and they're, and, they, and they're playing on their game, I don't think anyone can beat them. We saw it against Golden State about two, a week, week and a half ago, two weeks ago. Um, and then you saw you see every, all year at Golden State, you've seen it. They have figured out the three-point line like no one else. So Golden State has figured out the three-point line. San Antonio has figured out pretty much the game of basketball as an organization. Uh, it, it, I'm telling you, I don't know if we'll ever see a bigger Western Conference Finals ever. I don't think we'll ever, it'll, anything will ever match it if those two teams were to match up. Again, like you said, seven-game series, anything could happen. Um, it could be even crazier. Who knows? But I think in the Western Conference, and then especially come June in the NBA Finals, especially if the Cavs make it, we could be seeing a solid six weeks of basketball that I don't think we're ever going to forget. And, and, and I know I'm not, I'm not trying to overhype it. I'm being serious. I don't think this is a year where I, I can't remember a more hyped uh, NBA playoffs than, than this year. But, uh, Jonathan, with that, we got to head on out of here. Um, we got to get you out of here. I know it's really late where you live. It's late where I live. Um, we're going to get you out of here. But uh, unbelievable college basketball season. Anything else you want to say before we get on out of here? Well, just one thing with the NBA playoffs, you know, we were talking about how, how maybe it's not as surprising, but actually the last year uh, I had written an article about this. Uh, I just remembered it, and uh, uh, we, they actually did produce the most, uh, I think it tied the record for the most game sevens in the first round, uh, or actually for an entire year, I think it was, for, for game sevens in the first round. And uh, if you remember, the road teams were actually winning. They were actually 21-14 and 14 to start the playoffs last year, which was really shocking for the NBA playoffs yeah. uh, before kind of order was restored after that. And then, uh, and then you know, things went the way we thought. But, and and I, think, uh, I think it took until the 13th day of the playoffs last year uh, before we saw home teams sweep on the same day. So a road team was winning every single day, or at least at least a, a ro- at least one road team was winning on each of the first yeah. 12 days of the playoffs last year. So if we see anything like that, and yeah, I mean, at least early on, it's going to be exciting. I think ultimately it's probably going to be the Cavs against either, either the Warriors or the Spurs, and the Warriors or the Spurs is probably going to go down if it ends up that way. As, as if from what we saw from that last time they met in the regular season recently, that oh my God. Uh, that that could be maybe the greatest uh, pre-finals uh, series we'll ever see in the playoffs. 
but, but yeah. we'll we'll see if they meet and see how that goes. But uh, you know, it, you know, hopefully we get some surprises. But but if it, if it's anything like last year's first round, it actually is going to be uh, pretty interesting and, and pretty exciting because we did actually have a lot of surprises last year. A lot of road teams winning, a lot of game sevens last year, uh, more than I think you know we well, no, ever last expected year last year. So. I think it was. I think it was two years ago. Was it, was it, was it, was it two years ago? Sevens. I think it was two years ago when, when, oh, when I remember Paul Pierce hit a game winner for the Nets uh, in Game Seven of the first round. Remember that? That was two years ago, I think. Um. Yeah, I'm. I'm not sure. I have to look back. I think it was, it was one of them. Either, yeah, one one of them. Either last year or or the year before. But 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 it, but at least you know, like more recently, I think it's. It's bucking the trend that we had seen, where it was just kind of ho hum, you know. Okay, right. you know, f- skate, you know, this is going to be over in four games, going to be over in five games, and you know, not much drama, not much excitement. But I think, you know, it may not be like the NCAA tournament we just saw, but I, I think at least right. you go into the NBA playoffs, at least in the earlier rounds, at least in the first round, thinking, okay, this is not such a gimme now. Yeah, even though this is a one versus eight, two versus seven, maybe this could go six or seven games, and it could be pretty exciting, and 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 may not just be such a foregone conclusion that the, that the higher seed is going to move on so easily. So from that standpoint, you know, hopefully we'll be able to see some more of that. I'm more than excited to get it going. And uh, obviously we'll start that t- conversation. Not tomorrow. There will be no show tomorrow because obviously we just did a night show here for the morning for the East coast. So there'll be no show on Tuesday. We'll be right back at it on Wednesday afternoon, 12 PM on Wednesday, Eastern time. We'll be back for episode 112. Jonathan, we're out of here. We got about a minute left on the show again. Like I said, no show, no show for, uh, no show for the morning or afternoon for today on Tuesday. Uh, but this is technically your Tuesday show on, uh, on, on April 5th, post-game show for the NCAA championship game that you just saw today between Villanova and UNC, one of the greatest national championship games you've ever seen, I think, uh, just from quality and all that. So, unbelievable stuff there. Thank you again for listening, everybody. Have a fantastic rest of your day uh, if you're listening on the podcast or if you're listening at home. Thank you again, everybody. Jonathan, thank you again so much, man. I appreciate it. It was great. Congrats to Nova Nation. Well, Absolutely. We'll have you more on more. Absolutely. Once we move tonight, we'll have you on more. Thank you, man. All right, we're out of here, everybody. Enjoy yourselves. See you on this radio. We're back to basketball. NBA basketball will be back all the time here on the Hoopers Log coming up forward. Thank you again for listening to the CLS Radio and the Seeking Studios. My name is Simo Buckets. We'll see you later. Have a good one.